Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Kane's Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, George, the San Francisco Giants are the best team in the National League West. And, you know, right now, one of the best teams in, in the National League. Uh, so things are going on really well for San Francisco. Uh, and even though they've had some injuries, they've still been able to maintain what they're doing. I think the schedule has been favorable. They've had a lot of games against the Rockies, and they've got a doubleheader coming up here today as we speak on Tuesday. Uh, but what's your overall impression of the way this team has played so far? I think they're playing the way that oh, – good morning, by the way, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I think that they're playing They're playing the way that the, the typical Giants teams of the past that I remember – uh, have made their success, right? Strong pitching, the bullpen's come together and, and really stepped up and, and done nicely. And I think the timely hitting and some of the bats are starting to really peak um, or get going, I should say, right now, because obviously you can't score two, three, four runs a game and expect to continue to win throughout the whole season. The bats are going to have to come alive. But I think the, the starting pitchers have really put the team on their back and they're going out there one after the other and giving quality starts and giving the, the guys a chance to win the game. And that's all you can ask for, and they've been able to capitalize on it. Well, speaking of the bats, I mean, two guys that have really produced so far that you were hoping they would get back to where they were, Buster Posey and Evan Longoria. And let's start with Posey. I mean, I I think, you know, having the year off definitely helped. Uh, You know, his his hip looks healthy, and also he's changed his stance. I mean, he's more vertical now. He doesn't have his bat – close to his shoulder. He's always had that same stance. It was classic Posey. Now he's changed some things, and he's hitting the ball all over the place, hitting for more power, hitting home runs early. What have you noticed about Posey? Why do you think that he's off to this good start? Well, you know, you said something there that you said he's hitting the ball all over the place, and I think that's always been a big strength of Buster's is he's never been a straight pull guy. He's always been a guy who's hit the ball where it has been pitched which has made him such a tough out because you can throw him a fastball in and he'll turn on it. You can throw him a backdoor breaking ball and he'll shoot it with some power the other way. And I think the fact that he had last year to be off his legs, not be in the squat all year, um, I think he's been rejuvenated. The hip looks like it's feeling better. And like we talked about earlier in the first couple times we've chatted about about Buster and the team, I I think he was coming out here this, this year with something to prove. I think that he reads everything, and he, he hears what people say about, you know, Buster's getting older, this and that. And he's a competitor. He's a guy who, who has a lot of pride. He's going to come out there and try and show, show you, hey, look, I still got a lot left in the tank. And I think that you're seeing that. You're seeing that kind of bulldog mentality out of him and that competitiveness come out. Like we talked about him batting, you know, sixth and seventh uh, in the beginning of the, of the season. He's now starting to come back in that middle of the order where he belongs, I think. Uh, so having a rejuvenated and, and mentally fresh and competitive Buster Posey 
is only going to produce huge dividends for this team. You know, it's kind of a tough choice, I think, for Gabe Kapler. Do you rest him when he's not catching? Do you try to get him in the lineup more at first base? I mean, I lean towards that. I think he still plays a solid first base if, you you know, you need to get him in the lineup there. But that has not been the case so far. What, what do you foresee happening? What would you like to see? Would you, would you like to see Buster play more and play at first base when he can? Well, obviously, I'm biased because I've seen him do that his whole career. Obviously, my six years, whenever Buster was was not catching, um, he'd get the occasional off day. But whenever Boach or or whoever, um, you know, could get him in at first base, they would always do that. So that's what I'm accustomed to seeing. And and personally, I like it, especially when his bat is this hot. You need that bat in the middle of the lineup. He's a guy who can who can produce for you every time he steps up to the plate. Um, and I think it's just a great a great opportunity to, to flip with, with Brandon Belt when, when, you know, Brandon Belt might not be facing a lefty and uh, Kurt's behind the play. I think you can totally throw Buster back there. I, I'm accustomed to seeing it, and I like seeing it. I like him being over there. He's going to have to get his breaks, obviously. Um, but I think it's going to be hard to take that bat out of the lineup if he continues to do what he's been doing. Yeah, and he's a pretty good first baseman, too. I mean, he handles the plays over there. Uh, Evan Longoria, he also is having a great start, hitting for power. Now, he, he's not running very well because he's got this hamstring issue right now, and that's tough because sometimes you can't score on a base hit, you know, when you're at second base. Uh, but he's been producing. He's not chasing as much, it seems like. He's not chasing bad pitches. Why do you think he's gotten locked in so much early in the season? I think it goes back to what we just talked about with Buster as well. You've seen Longo hit balls oppo with a lot of power, and he's always had the power. But I think with hitters sometimes, uh, obviously I was a pitcher, so I mean I don't know that much about about hitting. But I think that when you are comfortable going the other way with your swing, it completely opens up the 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 options that you have. You're not just trying to pull those breaking balls down and away. You're able to hit them the other way. You know, I saw him hit a, a breaking ball oppo in San Diego and. That's a hard thing to do, to go oppo taco on, on breaking balls in San Diego. Um, and I think the fact that he's kind of made the decision that I'm going to go with the ball wherever it's pitched, he's obviously a great hitter, and he's been a great hitter his whole career. And when you open up the options to hit hitting the ball all over the ballpark, I think it just makes you that much more of a dangerous hitter because you start building that confidence. When you start hitting those balls hard the other way, um, I think is the most important part of the hitter getting locked in. And he's done that and hopefully he can keep it going. All right, so you mentioned that you were a pitcher, and you didn't do a whole lot of hitting, but, you know, some of the Giants hitters have had some big hits early in this season. I mean, we saw Logan Webb get a triple. That was a big hit. Uh, recently, Gosman. I mean, just some guys are, are delivering at the plate, and you don't expect it. And I'm just curious, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how much batting practice you take. Uh, I know the starters probably take a lot more because they know they're going to hit for sure, but as a relief pitcher, I don't even know how many at-bats you had, George. I mean, tell us some stories about even just getting a chance to get to the plate. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Well, we only took batting practice really in spring training as relievers. The starters, as you mentioned, they take batting practice every day, all five of them, um, including the starting pitcher of that day. Um, so, so they get it very regularly. Uh, and they're competitive guys. They know that that's part of their job when they're in there. You know, they have to throw the ball and, and get the outs, but they also have to potentially come up and get a bunt down or move a runner over and hit behind a runner. Uh, the, all that stuff is very important. And, and the type of baseball that the Giants play um, at least that they have been playing and we've played historically, those those getting over, those one run that, that might happen in the third or fourth inning could make a huge difference later in the game. Um, I, I think as far as me, I, I, I had 11 career at-bats 
And the next question is, well, how many hits did you have? And I had zero. I was <laughs> 0 for 11. However, I did. I think I did get four or five out of six of my sack bunts down. And which, that's the most important which, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which as a reliever, I take a lot of pride in. I think I was, you know, maybe four for six or something like that in sack bunts. But I did have a, a 12 pitch at bat against Brunson Arroyo. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what, uh, what year it was, but he was getting so mad at me when he was with Cincinnati. Cause I was just following pitches off, following pitches off. And finally he threw a slider that I swear started behind me and ended up on the outside corner. And I totally turned my back to it and, and, you know, walked away kind of with a smirk on my face. Cause I did take 12 pitches out of the, uh, out of the, out of the inning for him. But, um, you know, there were a couple guys that I faced. I remember the, the two that stick out in my brain right now were I, I faced Brandon Moore, um, who was the, the closer for the Padres for, oh, yeah. a few, for a year or two, through hard-throwing righty. I faced him maybe in 2015 or 16, and it was the opening series where we opened up in San Diego, and it was extra innings or, or maybe it was the eighth inning, and I was going back out for the ninth when we were up by, you know, five or six or something. And – um he was throwing like 97 miles an hour and it was comical because I was trying to, to, you know, get some wood on it, taking some good gangster hacks. But I mean, I was swinging with the ball already pretty much past me and, and the guys got a good laugh from the dugout when I walked back after a few pitches. But um, Adam Adovino was, was one guy that when I faced him, we had played with each other in the um, Cape Cod league. We were both on the Harwich Mariners and I go, I go way back with, with uh, Adam Adovino, Tim Lincecum actually happened to be on our team that same summer. Um, so I've known him for a long time and you get in the box and you chuckle a little bit as you're staring out at a buddy of yours. Um, but he, his stuff was, was kind of nasty. He's on that mid nineties two seam. And then that slider that breaks, you know, similar to Sergio Romo's uh, uh, movement, just very, very across and running out of bat. So that was a little bit of, of an uncomfortable at bat. I think I swung at one that I missed by about 10 inches. Um, <laughs> But these guys, the starting pitchers, they do a great job of it. You know, I'd like to think that I was a pretty good hitter earlier in my in my career in high school and college, and and uh, but then you, you don't practice, and 97 gets on you real quick, especially when you don't see it very often. So the the fact that those guys are going out there and and executing pitches and doing a good job focusing on their craft, but they can still help themselves out with a sack bunt or driving a run or you know, if we're talking about a guy like Bumgarner who can hit the ball out of the ballpark and takes hitting real seriously, you can help yourself out tremendously. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing that any pitchers get hits because, like you said, not a lot of batting practice, and you're going up there against guys who are throwing hard, splitters, cutters, whatever it is. I mean, it's not even the easiest thing to lay down a bunt. You know, people think, oh, well, that should be simple, but it's not like in batting practice where you're just getting you know, batting practice pitchers throwing it right down the middle. You, you've got a lot of movement on these pitches. Oh, you have movement, you have to break breaking ball, you have to bunt breaking balls. I mean, you have to think along. And I think some of the some of the good hitters from from what I've seen over the, the good hitting pitchers, I should say, over the years, are guys who are competitive and who, who go out there and you know, uh, Matt, Max Scherzer, Zach Greinke, you know, Clayton Kershaw, who who I am just gonna come out and say I've given up his only home run. I think everyone already knows that anyways, but these guys are out there competitive and they want to help the team and help themselves out because they know how important it is. And those are the guys that, that, that can actually go out there and do a good job. I mean, you've seen Clayton Kershaw and Bumgarner and, and Scherzer and Strasburg. You've seen them get pinch hit opportunities late in games when the benches have been uh, kind of worn thin a little bit. So these guys are guys who their managers trust to go out there and, and do the job. We'll continue the conversation with former Giants reliever George Contos right after this.
When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give them a call at 415 453 2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Let's talk about Baumgartner. He throws that seven-inning no-hitter, and there was great discussion about it, and I thought it would be a good time to bring it up because the Giants are playing two seven-inning games today here on uh, Tuesday. It's a you know, doubleheader in Colorado after the uh, game was postponed on Monday. So how do you look at it, George? I mean, to me, if you give a pitcher a game and say it's seven innings and he throws a no-hitter, it's a no-hitter. Now, I know it's not you know the same accomplishment because those last six outs mean a lot, and, and I hate this. I hate the seven-inning games. I hate that we're even talking about it. But to me, I mean, you have to credit him with the no-hitter, and they're not doing that. They're saying it's a notable achievement, which I thought was ridiculous. What do you think? I, yeah, I think it's a load of junk as well. I mean, if you have made, if you have changed the rules of the game to implement this this new style of play, where double headers are going to be seven innings, and someone throws a, or a, a no hitter or whatever, I or a perfect game. I mean, that would be even more controversial. But you've now changed the rules, and you have made that an official game. So I don't see how you cannot credit him with a no hitter. You've changed the rules, and because historically, they the rest of them have been nine innings. I think the fact that the rules have been changed, and this is now Major League Baseball, you have to credit him with a no-hitter. You can't just pick and choose. Um, I'm with you. I agree. I think these seven-inning doubleheaders are, are kind of not – this isn't Major League Baseball. Guys, guys starting on second base, doubleheaders double being seven innings. This is all stuff that we've seen in the minor leagues, that, that when you get to the major leagues, you play – 162 games that are nine inning games and and obviously i'm speaking from my experience and a little bit more of the old school um you know mentality of how i came up but a major league baseball game is nine innings and you shouldn't be able to win a baseball game by not having a ball leave the infield in the 10th inning those are things that i just don't see how um you know how it makes sense to make those changes but they've been made and now we all have to deal with it so in my opinion madison bumgarner threw a no hitter yeah, no, I, I agree. It is weird. Like, if you think about it in terms of golf, and you love golf, so do I, uh, if you were to all of a sudden play 16 holes instead of 18, and now your score is different, and it changes everything as far as records, and, you know, we love to talk about this stuff. You can't just all of a sudden change the rules and then say, oh, yeah, well, that's not a no-hitter. It's a shame because I would love to see if Bumgarner would have gone ahead and thrown a nine-inning no-hitter. I mean, you know he's been capable of that, that his th- whole career, and he doesn't get the chance to do it. I mean, that's the thing that's the biggest shame to me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. A little fun story that uh, that just kind of creeped in, crept into my head while we were talking about this. What, but I think it was 2012, not far or not long after Matt Cain threw his perfect game. Mm-hmm. We were facing the Cincinnati Reds at AT&T Park, and Bum was on the mound, and Bum was cruising. <laughs> he was probably through seven innings of no-hit ball, and I was sitting there talking with Jeremy Athel, and I was like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he gave up a single, I believe, in the ninth inning, and that was the only hit he gave up. And Jeremy was just 
like razzing me, razzing me, being like, you cost it. You cost him a no hitter. You cost him a no hitter. So I literally, the, after the game was over, he had thrown his one hitter and I walked right up to him before Jeremy could get to him. I was like, bum, this is my fault. I said something. I cursed you today. I, I'm the reason why you gave up the hit. And he's like, in his very uh, North Carolina draw, he's like, I don't believe in that stuff. I gave up a hit because I didn't make the right pitch. And, and he, he let me off the hook on that. But I seriously, for, for about 15 minutes, was like, oh, my God, I cost him a no-hitter. This is unbelievable. Um, but he, you know, he, he's always been bound to throw one. Unfortunately, it came in their circumstances, and he can maybe throw another one or throw something uh, even better than that and kind of join the, the club that will be um, accepted by everybody, I guess. Yeah, no, and I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I always wondered about that as far as players and the superstition, and I'm, I'm glad that Bumgarner is not bothered by it because, you know, you just go out there and do it. But there are players, you know, pitchers, that take that very, very seriously, and they don't want anybody to talk to them, and, you know, it's a, it's a great superstition, and they don't want broadcasters to mention that it's a no-hitter, and some broadcasters follow along with that. I never did. I mean, to me, I think the audience deserves to know that it's a no-hitter. What was your take on it, and, I mean, how extreme do players get about that? Well, I'm a pretty superstitious guy. I always have been. I mean, superstitious in the, in the, in the fact that I would get dressed the same way before games every day, you know, left sock, right sock, left leg, right leg, kind of, <laughs> kind of uh, uh, in my routine. But, you know, I think, I think when guys around the person doing something like that, whether it's a perfect game or a no hitter, you can sense it. You know, you're, if you're the guy on the mound that's going through that, you can sense the energy. And if it creeps into your own mind that you're doing it, that's when you kind of start losing focus and that little bit of like, oh, man, I'm doing something really special kicks in. And that's when guys lose it a little bit because I think conviction and, and confidence and going out there and, and throwing every pitch with all your intent is a huge deal. And when you start, maybe you fall behind the count, you take a, a little something off a fastball, the mental part of it can really impact the physical ability to go out and execute. And I think that's the biggest reason why people get superstitious or don't want guys in the, in the dugout or whatever talking about it or making it known obvious around that pitcher that they're talking about it because it, it can creep into your mind and it can alter you a little bit. You know, you mentioned Matt Cain in the perfect game. Tell us about the circumstances around that. Were you guys talking about it? Uh, you know, how, how did that go during that game? Because, you know, that was one of the best games in Major League history. I mean, that, that was just incredible. That was my third day uh, being in the major leagues with the Giants. I believe I got called up on on um, third or fourth day, June 9th or 10th, and that was obviously June 13th, I think he did that. Um, it was incredible. I mean, the 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 electricity in the, in the um, stadium that day, I mean, everyone knew what was going on, especially after uh, Blanco's play in, in basically center field. Um, after yeah. that, it was just forget about it. And, and I think I remember – Kaner and I talking about it he was just standing on heaters at the end of it he was just like all right well screw this I'm going to give you everything I got with my best fastballs and he had a really good fastball he had that fastball that had some really good life on it throughout his career and when he was throwing 92 94 95 that, that's a tough pitch to hit um but it was I mean it was electric but Matt Kane Matt Kane is a very mentally tough guy he's a very mentally tough uh, individual especially when he's on the mound he was one of those kind of bulldogs where he was never going to get give in to you. Um, so I think he was a guy that superstition really didn't bother all that much because we were all talking about it. And it, I mean, what an incredible um, feat to be a part of and to witness firsthand. I remember a couple of the wives um, of, of some of the players who were living across the street in, in one of the buildings were like 
sending text messages to players that they got after the game. Like, why is the whole block shaking? Because it was just so <laughs> electric. Um, but, it, I mean, it was incredible. And, it, you know, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. And, you know, my, my, my college teammate and friend, Jay Happ, was on the losing end of that game against the Astros. He started against Matt Cain that day. So there's, there was a lot of intertwining uh, going, going back through that perfect game. You know, you mentioned just joining the Giants, and I think a lot of people don't realize how great the fan base is here. And you came from the Yankees, where they have a great fan base, of course. And I'm, I'm curious what you think about Mike Talkman, and he has really contributed a lot so far. I want to hear what you think about him as a player, too. But uh, he's in a similar circumstance where he's coming from the New York Yankees to the San Francisco Giants all the way across the country. He's getting a chance to play more. Uh, so what are your thoughts about him and sort of relate to what happened to you going from the Yankees to the Giants? You know, it's, it's funny. You come from obviously a huge market in New, the biggest market in New York. And then you come to another huge market in San Francisco. But, um, I, I, what I found, and, and this was, you know, I was, I spent six years with the Yankees on, on the East coast and then another six years with the Giants on the West coast. And, the West Coast is just a lot more laid back. Obviously, the fans care. Everyone, everyone is rooting for their team the same. Everyone loves loves it. But the West Coast fans are just a little bit more laid back, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. You know, when you when you when you have something happen in New York, it's going to be splashed all over the back page of the Post or whatever, and everyone's going to know about it. Going to be talking about it. You're going to have 50 media members in the clubhouse that are going to just micromanage everything and give their opinions and judge and criticize. <laughs> and it takes us, it takes a very mentally strong individual to have long-term success playing for a New York market team. It's just the nature of the beast because of the media market. And not that these guys aren't, aren't mentally strong enough to handle it. But what I noticed was coming back out West and playing for the giants was you were already built up and, and kind of, you've been toughened by that market. So when you kind of come to the West coast and obviously everything still talked about, it's just not made such a buzz about, and you've already hardened your emotions to it where you can just go out there and play and not care what the media says really. And it, it really allows you to have a lot more success and be yourself. And, and, you know, Talkman is a, is a great hard nosed ball player. I really enjoy watching him play. And when he's, he's a guy, when he, when he can get hot, he's, he's a little bit like belt. He'll be hitting the ball all over the place with some power He'll, he'll be hitting doubles and homers, and he hits the ball all over the field. And he's just a hard-nosed baseball player. He's going to go out there and, and, and play hard defense. He'll be diving. He'll run into the wall. And I think that's uh, exactly the type of player that the Giants would love to have running around their outfield and, and in their clubhouse. Yeah, he looks like a tough at bat. And also, uh, yeah, he's tracking the ball down in, in center field. And I'll tell you a quick story. When I was with SiriusXM and they would send me to spring training all over, I went to Yankees camp. And I just could not believe Yankees camp, especially early. I might have been there for the first day of Yankees camp. The amount of media. I thought I was going to a World Series or something. I mean, wait a minute. Like everybody else, any other camp I had gone to, there were a few media members there for spring training. Not the Yankees. I mean, they had a ton of people. It looked like the postseason. So you can imagine, like, being a player and seeing that right away, maybe that's exciting, but also that pressure right off the bat for a player. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think I was fortunate to to come up in that type of environment where, um, you know, in spring training, especially on the minor league side, they, you know, they give you media training. They they tell you, hey, there's going to be cameras in your face. You, you have to be accountable to reporters. So I learned that from a very, very young um, 
young age in the standpoint of being a, a, a professional baseball player. Then you got to, to major league camp and before media even hit, hit the, the, um, the clubhouse for the first day, you had another one with the, um, with the communications director for the Yankees who would come in and say, look, you know, don't do anything. You don't do anything crazy. Think <laughs> before you do everything. Think before you speak. If you have a bad game, you have to be accountable to the media because they are going to be the ones writing stuff about you. So give them something from your own mouth as opposed to having them have free reign to write their own opinions. And these are all things that I learned at a very early age in the game. And, you know, I think I, I'm of the personality where I, I, I kind of do hopefully most of the time think before I speak and try to give um, thoughtful, um, intelligent answers when I'm answering questions. So I can make sure that whatever I'm being said will be offered to the, to the general public uh, in, in a good way, in a way where, you know, I'm not allowing anybody to be able to infer or criticize comments on, on things that I've made not very clear, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and then going out to San Francisco, it's like I said, it's just, it's just a lot more laid back, but having that media training that they've given you, um, to come up and obviously, you know, everyone knows the New York Yankees logo. Everyone knows what that looks like. You can be walking around most countries around the world and someone sees a Yankee logo, like, oh, it's New York Yankees. Um, so that's, the, that's what they deal with, um, in, in New York and, and coming out to San Francisco, you had the same type of love for, for the team. The San Francisco Giants fans are, I truly believe, the best fans in the game. Um, but everything's not quite scrutinized and picked on quite as much as it is on the East Coast and New York specifically. All right, you mentioned the minor leagues, and they're getting underway this week, and I'm curious what you think about the late start. I mean, yeah, there are the new rules. Uh, there are teams that have moved around, leagues. I mean, Fresno is now in A-ball. You played in Fresno, and, you know, that's strange thinking about that with that big stadium. They're, they're in A-ball uh, in the California League. Uh, but the late start, how is that affecting players? Because, you know, here we are in May, and they've just been at an alternate site. They haven't been playing competitive games yet. So, so I, is, is the ultimate – is the alternate site going to continue to stay the way it is? And then there's going to be, it's going to be like the triple a, um, is that how it still works? I'm not sure about the alternate site, how they're doing that, but they're going to have regular minor league baseball games now. I mean, you know, there's uh, but the leagues have changed around, you know, a lot of the uh, teams that, you know, affiliations have changed. For example, the, the giants now have a team in Eugene, Oregon, um, instead of the Northwest league team they had up in, Oregon, they now have that as their uh, high A team, and San Jose has dropped down to low A team. I, I think with the late start, it's just, it's kind of just going to take everybody a little bit of, of extra time to kind of get into the swing of things. So uh, you've obviously had some of the some of the guys at the alternate site right now who are playing scrim scrimmage games, but I think what it's going to affect the most is those guys who maybe make the jump from like a high A to a double A in June and then have a lot of success and then they could maybe maybe be in contention to get a major league call up by the end of the season. I think you're going to see less of that stuff happening with everything being halted. Um, you know, because right now what they've done is they, they have all their prospects that they think could maybe help, and they put them at the alternate side or somewhere where it's close. And now once um, the season starts, everyone will kind of disperse and they'll play their games. And I think that everyone will just take a little bit longer to get into their rhythm of, the, of their seasons and their development. So I think you'll see less of the of the jumps from like the single A to double A to the big leagues that you've seen in the past. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't affect development too much. And we might see some of those players in San Francisco later this year. All right, to finish up, I mean, we've all had freak injuries 
in our lives, you know. But when it's a baseball player or any professional athlete, there's a lot more attention paid to it. And, you know, you saw it firsthand with Jeremy. I felt always seemed to have <laughs> something, you know, he's like trying to break open some frozen burgers and he cuts his hand. Uh, he's trying to, you know, catch his kid thrown to him and then you know something happens to his knee he sprains it whatever I mean now we hear about Jesus Lazardo with the A's breaking his finger playing a video game that goes on the list of unusual freaky injuries uh what do you think of that and also did you ever have any uh, kind of freak injury that affected baseball you know the only kind of freak injuries that I've ever had was maybe sleeping funny and and my neck would wake up and it would be tight but you know with a little bit of like massage or or dry needling or something like that those pretty much kind of loosened up and I was able to at least play but some of these freak injuries now that you mentioned some of them Jeremy Athel obviously is the the first person that comes to everyone's mind but if you remember a a flame one of the initial flamethrowers Joel Zumaya yeah. Remember him? Yeah. Remember, uh, so he had to have Tommy John or or maybe it was Carpal Tunnel that he got or something from playing Guitar Hero. <laughs> he was playing Guitar Hero and he was and he was, uh, you know, uh, playing the chords at the top of the guitar. And and I guess he strained his ligaments or something. And oh, I think man. that was eventually what led to him having an elbow uh, procedure. But. You know, I, I think freak stuff happens, and, and, and it's, it's, it's crazy because you obviously are very careful as a major league athlete uh, or a major league baseball player or athletes in general because your main focus needs to be staying on the field and being healthy to, so you can go play. Um, but I've also, without saying any specific stories, there are some things that have happened, I think, in the past in general around baseball where, where people probably have some goofy things happen that they're doing that they get hurt from and blame it on other things. Uh, as well so there's a little bit of that how can you question somebody who says oh I you know I fell down the stairs and, and you know broke my ankle or hurt my ankle or something like that um, but I, I do remember and, and, and I'm not saying this about this this player but I remember David David Robertson with the Yankees one year we were getting ready um, to break spring training and this was actually I think the year that I got traded to the Giants he was packing up boxes in his Tampa uh, rental home taking them to his truck and he missed the step on the um on the stairs holding a box in his hand and he had an ankle sprain that i think kept him out for about three four weeks to miss the first month of the season so the freak stuff does happen and david robertson's probably one of the more athletic guys that i've been around he's he unbelievably flexible great balance um but you know the freak stuff definitely does happen so it's you just got to be very careful and make sure that uh you always count the steps or hold the knife properly in, in your non-throwing hands. So so none of this stuff does happen, but it, it's unfortunate that it does. Well, you know, the thing is, too, I mean, it's hard because, I mean, you want to be honest, but not all the time uh, because, you know, it, it can be embarrassing. I mean, maybe you might not want the team to, to know what happened. I mean, yeah, well, it goes back to Jeff Kent with the Giants. He had a motorcycle incident. He said it was washing his car. You know, he just didn't want him to know where you had uh, Madison Bumgarner with the dirt bike incident. Uh, you know, and that really cost him, and it was embarrassing and everything. But hey, he had to own up to it. Those are difficult situations to be in as a player. They're very difficult because, you, like we were talking about with the media stuff, you know you're going to be criticized. You know you're going to get opinions. You know you're going to get backlash from everybody. And the part that is the worst is you know that what you did was wrong, and you have to own up to it. And I think the integrity of the guy that come out and say, "Hey, look, I, I shouldn't have been doing this, but I was. This is what happened." Those are the guys that, you know, that, that, that have the kind of 
you know, good values and, 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 and ones who can stand up straight, put their chest out and be like, Hey, you know what? I screwed up. I made a mistake. And most of the time people get over it. You know, look at what happened with bum. He came back and, and after his, I think eight week or 10 week hiatus of, of being injured with that shoulder thing, which is obviously scary. People move on from it. And, you know, other than us talking about it now as a freak thing, I don't think it's really held against him in any capacity anymore. No, I don't think so either. Well, George, thanks a lot. Enjoy the two seven-inning games today, and then I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Joe. Thanks for having me. That's former Giants relief pitcher George Contos. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.